Let's turn to Acts chapter 10. <clears throat> Book of Acts chapter 10 and we'll begin from verse 23. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10 and verse 23. It says, Then called he them in and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and they called together his kinsmen and near friends. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity once again to come around your word. Lord, we pray that this morning you'd be in our midst, that Lord you would take your word and apply it to our hearts, that you would teach us and instruct us through it. Lord, I pray that you would empower me this morning through your Holy Spirit, you give me wisdom and guidance as I speak, that your words, that your thoughts, and the Lord, you would uh, speak to us through your word today, and speak to our hearts, that you teach us, and Lord, I pray that we leave knowing that we've been in your presence and giving glory to you. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name, amen. Now, last Sunday, we started to look uh, at Acts chapter 10, this uh, pivotal chapter if you like in the book of acts we said that it was a pivotal chapter because it's here that we see the gospel message goes unto the gentiles for the very first time okay the great commission is finally being fulfilled okay they were instructed to go under all nations and now we see that gospel message spreading unto all nations the door is open and the gentiles are welcomed as part of the church and last week we saw this passage is divided into four parts and we looked at the first two of these last week. We saw, first of all, the hunger of a religious man. In verses 1 through to 8, we meet this man, Cornelius, okay, who's a Roman centurion and he's living in Caesarea and he's hungry for the truth. So much so that he's a very religious man. He's um, adopted a lot of the Jewish faith. He's spending time in prayer at the Jewish hours of prayer. He's fasting, he's giving alms to the poor. He's hungry, he's searching for the truth. And God hears his prayers and sees what he's doing, sees his heart, and so God sends, sorry, God tells him to send for Peter. To send to Peter, who's in Joppa, and he says that Peter will give you the answers you're looking for. Peter will tell you all things. And so Cornelius obeys the Lord and he sends three men to fetch Peter from Joppa. And while they're traveling to Joppa, we saw that the Lord prepares Peter. And that was the second part. We saw the preparation of Peter. You know, Peter, like all Jews, was prejudiced against the Gentiles. And so God had to prepare his heart to minister to these people that he didn't like, okay, that he didn't care for. God had to show Peter he was wrong. And God did this using the vision. Remember, we saw the vision of the great sheet coming down from heaven, and it's full of all sorts of animals, clean and unclean animals. God told Peter to arise and eat, and Peter responded, Not so, Lord. He said, I'm not going to do that, Lord, because I've never eaten anything that's unclean. And you know, God responded to him by rebuking him. In verse 15, it says, And the voice um, spake unto him the again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. God rebuked him and said, Peter, if I've called it clean, 
don't you dare call it common. Don't you dare call it uncommon. We saw that God was teaching Peter, you know, that God is not a respecter of persons. God is not concerned about the race that you're from. We finished last week with Peter inviting these men into the house and uh, lodging them for the night. And that showed us that Peter was beginning to understand. Okay? He's beginning to change. He's thinking towards the Gentiles. And so this morning now we come to the final two parts to this story. We see first of all this morning the obedience of a servant. The obedience of a servant. And this is seen in verse 23 down to verse 43. Now the Lord had shown Peter through this vision that he was wrong. Okay, The Lord had shown him that his prejudice against the Gentiles was wrong. They needed the Savior just as much as anyone else. And so he should not refuse to speak to them. He shouldn't refuse to speak to them, you know, because he's worried about being defiled by them or worried because they're unclean. Now, the start of verse 23, we see Peter beginning to understand this, okay? It says, then called he them in and lodged them, okay? He lodged them for the night. He invited them in. This was a start, okay? This was him beginning to obey the Lord. But now we see that he goes much further than this. Okay, Peter now as a willing servant obeys the Lord. And there are two ways or two parts to this obedience that I want us to consider. First of all, we see Peter responds in faith. He responds in faith. Look in verse 23. It says, Then called he them in and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, God had told Peter back in verse 19 and 20 that he was to go with these men who arrived at his door. Just read that with me. Verse 19 says, While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit spake unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Okay, the Lord said, You're to go with these men and nothing doubting or not making discernments, not making distinction. Okay, he's to go with these Gentile Man, this is God's command. It's very clear, isn't it? And Peter now in verse 23 obeys that command, doesn't he? He now leaves with these men on the morrow. He sets out for Caesarea from Joppa. He's obedient to the Lord. He's responding in faith, isn't he? Faith in what God has told him to do. You know, Peter here very wisely doesn't go alone. Okay, it says in verse 23 that he took with him certain brethren from Joppa. He takes men with him to be witnesses, if you like, to what's about to take place. In chapter 11, verse 12, we're told that he takes six men with him. Just so go there, chapter 11, verse 12, it says, And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. And we entered into the man's house. And so there's six brethren that go with Peter on this journey up to Caesarea. And, you know, as I said, these six men basically go as witnesses, eyewitnesses to the events that are about to take place. And, you know, in chapter 11, we see the reaction of the church to Peter going to see Cornelius. In chapter 11, verse 1, it says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised, and did eat with them. You see, in chapter 11, we're told that when the church of Jerusalem, when the Jews, 
the Jewish Christians, when they find out about this, they're upset. They're upset. You went into a, to a Gentile's house. What did you do that for, Peter? You see, now we see the wisdom of him taking them with, with him, don't we? Okay? Peter had a lot of spiritual wisdom here in that he takes these six men so that he has men to back up what happens. He has witnesses who are with him. He's not alone on this trip. And while Peter and his companions are traveling to Caesarea, we learn that Cornelius is busy as well. Cornelius is busy inviting people to come to his house. Verse 24, it says, And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. Cornelius has been busy, hasn't he? Okay. He's preparing for Peter's arrival. And so he's gone around and he invited all of his friends and his near family to come and to hear Peter speak. You know, already here we see the faith of Cornelius, don't we? Cornelius had no guarantee that Peter was actually coming. Okay? The only guarantee he had was the word of the Lord. He had the, the appearing of the angel telling him to fetch Peter. And in faith, he now prepares for Peter's arrival. He now invites all these people to his house believing that Peter is going to come. He makes sure that they're there. You know, already we see him being a witness, don't we? A better witness than most of us as Christians ever are. He's out there inviting all these men. He's still not saved, but he's inviting all these men and women and children to come and hear Peter speak unto them on the truth. When Peter arrives at Cornelius' house, we're told that Cornelius falls down at his feet and worships him. Verse 25, it says, And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. You know, Cornelius, he saw Peter as being a man of God. And so he thinks he's doing the right thing here. He sees Peter as a man of God, and so he thinks, I need to show him respect, I'll bow down at his feet. He's trying to do the right thing. It's the wrong thing, but he's trying to do the right thing here. He's trying to show respect unto the man of God. You know, we can imagine Peter's reaction here, can't we? Peter, this humble fisherman, I'm sure he was very shocked to have someone at his feet bowing down, worshipping him. And so Peter is very quick to tell him to get up. Verse 26 says, But Peter took him, saying, Stand up. I myself also am a man. He says, Rise up, I'm no different to you. I'm no different, I'm just a man. Stand up on your feet. Don't worship me. You know, Peter could have fallen into the trap here of pride, couldn't he? He could have quite easily fallen into the trap of pride, especially being a Jew and at his feet as a Gentile. He could have fallen into the trap of pride and, you know, lapped it up and been very, you know, um, happy that a Gentile was at his feet, a Gentile centurion of all people. But Peter didn't because Peter understood that all praise, all glory goes to God. And that God is the one who exalts. God is the one who lifts up, not man. And Peter has the right reaction, doesn't he? He quickly says, rise up, don't worship me. Verse 27 then, we see Peter now enters the house. It says in verse 27, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. He enters the house now and he finds this crowd that's gathered together to hear him speak. I think we often can breeze over this verse here, verse 27. It says, and he, as he talked with him, he went in. Those three little words there. He went in. 
You see, this simple action of Peter actually entering the house of a Gentile was a huge step. This is a massive step for him. It was, it was a big step to invite them into where he's staying and to go with them. But to actually enter the house of a Gentile was a massive step for Peter as a Jew. Now, this was something that he had been taught since he was little was forbidden. This was a big no-no for Jews. Don't you dare enter the house of a Gentile. You'll be defiled. You'll be unclean. You can't do it. This is something being taught since little. And so by entering now into the house of Cornelius, Peter is showing us how much his heart has changed in such a short time, isn't he? He's showing us how much the Lord has really worked on him and changed his attitude towards the Gentiles. He's learnt the lesson, hasn't he? That the vision had for him, you know, the vision of God. He's learnt the, the lesson. And he declares in verse 28 what God has taught him. He says in verse 28, And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company, or to come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying as soon as I was sent for. Now here he declares what it is that God's taught him. You see, even these Gentiles understood that Jews didn't enter the house of a Gentile. Okay, they knew you know, what the Jews were like. If you like, they looked at them as being stuck up. You know, the Jews, they think they're better than us. They won't eat with us. They won't enter our houses. They knew that the Jews considered it an unlawful thing to enter the house of a Gentile. And so it was a surprise to them as much as anyone that Peter now enters the house. It's a surprise to them. And so Peter explains to them why he's doing this. He explains to them what God has taught him. He explains that God has taught him that he's not to call any man common or unclean. You know, for centuries the Jews had declared the Gentiles to be unclean. For centuries they'd viewed them as being nothing but dogs. And here's Peter now saying to them, God has taught me that I'm not to call any of you unclean. God has taught him to change. You know, the vision that he'd seen was, of course, about food. You know, a sheep full of animals, clean and unclean. You know, that God told him to arise and eat. But Peter understood the analogy. Peter understood what it is that God was trying to get across to him. He understood it was more than just about food laws. It was about respecting people. You know, put ourselves in the shoes of Cornelius and the other Gentiles in this house right now. This must have thrilled their heart to hear Peter say this. To hear this, this Jew standing there and saying, I recognize I need to love you the same as anyone else. That you're not unclean, you're not un uncommon. You know, it must have thrilled their hearts to hear Peter declare this. That he is willing to commune with them. He's willing to talk to them. This is what they've been seeking. This is what Cornelius was looking for. And Peter now says, I'm willing to commune with you. And Peter promptly asks them the reason why they've sent for him. You know, he wanted to know more fully what it is they're seeking. He wants to hear it from their mouth, if you like. What it is that they've invited him to do. And so Cornelius responds by telling him everything that's taken place. At the end of verse 29 there it says, I ask therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, 
Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And about the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine arms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast done well that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded of God. You know, Peter must have rejoiced at that final statement there. The end of verse 33. Now therefore we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded of thee of God. You know, he must have thrilled his soul. He's, he's got a room of people, a room of Gentiles, and what are they there for? They're present before God to hear all things that are commanded by God. He's, they're willing to listen. They've got hungry ears. They're ready to receive the truth of God's word. They're sinners, hungry for the truth. You know, what better congregation can a preacher hope for? And a congregation like this, particularly of unsaved, they're ready to lap it up, everything that Peter has to say. And Peter now seizes the opportunity that's before him and he preaches boldly the truth. And that's the second part of his obedience here. Peter speaks in power. He speaks in power. Look in verse 34. It says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And we'll read the rest of his message in a minute. This message here from verse 34 down to verse 43 is one of the great New Testament sermons. It's very short, but it's a great sermon with a great result at the end of it. And in this message, there are three major considerations. Firstly, he tells them about the impartiality of God. The impartiality of God, we just read that in verse 34 and 35. Peter begins this sermon to this hungry crowd of Gentiles by declaring his understanding that God is no respecter of persons. Verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. This really is where he had to start his sermon, isn't it? He had to start by showing that this message was for them as much as it was for the Jews. God is no respecter of persons. As we previously stated, you know, this was a totally new concept in Peter's day. It really was a new concept. The Jews, they saw themselves as God's chosen people. You know, they were the descendants of Abraham. They were special. They believed that God was partial. They believed God was partial towards them and against the Gentiles. All because of their heritage, because they were born a Jew. And as such, they hated the Gentiles. They, they genuinely believed that they were reflecting the mind of God in their attitude towards the Gentiles. They really did. They thought they were reflecting God. And no doubt the Gentiles that are present in this room, this house, they had felt this hatred from the Jews. I'm sure Cornelius, as a Roman soldier, has experienced this hatred firsthand. But now in one sweeping statement, Peter declares that all 
are on the same level before Almighty God. All are equal, all the same, all are sinners, just the same, in need of a Savior. Not only that, he declares in verse 35 that God is willing to respond to any man of any nation who seeks after him. Verse 35, it says, But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Yeah, Peter says God is willing to respond to anyone who seeks after him. All can be saved. All can then please God. Race doesn't come into it. Race doesn't matter. A man is not saved based on his nationality. A man is saved based on his heart towards God, his faith. Anyone who seeks after him can be saved and have a relationship with God. And this is where he starts his sermon. It's a really good place to start, isn't it? Considering his crowd. He starts out by telling them God doesn't respect persons. He tells them that all can come to God. All can have a relationship with God. You know, this may have been a new notion in Peter's day, but it's, in, it's important that we understand that this has always been the case with God. You know, it's not as if the God of the Old Testament was a partial God. You know, the God of the Old Testament loved the, the Jews and hated all other people. And that, you know, it was only the Jews that he cared about. God has never been a respecter of persons. God has always loved all people. And God has always been willing to receive all people. Just go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Just quickly, just one verse, Deuteronomy 10 verse 17. In Deuteronomy 10 verse 17 it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and terrible, which rewardeth not persons, nor taketh, sorry, regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. Regardeth not persons. In other words, God doesn't show partiality. There you have it in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy. God doesn't show partiality. And we see it throughout the Old Testament, don't we? With people from other nations who get saved and become part of the Jewish nation. Okay, because the Jewish nation was where God revealed himself. You know, God has always cared for and loved all people. The Jews, they were simply God's chosen people through whom all the earth might be blessed. And they were chosen by grace. They weren't chosen because God is partial. They were chosen by God's grace. So we've seen the impartiality of God. The next major consideration he presents here is the universal lordship of Jesus Christ. The universal lordship of Jesus Christ. Verse 36, it says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they uh, slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but unto witnesses chosen before God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick 
and dead. Now in these verses now, Peter summarizes the story of the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins this summary by making it clear that Israel was God's instrument for accomplishing his work. And that the word or the gospel message came unto them first, but Jesus is Lord of all. That's verse 36. He says the word or the gospel, which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. See, the message came unto the Jews first. They were the means by which the the message was brought about, but it wasn't just for them. Christ is Lord of all. The message was for the Gentiles as well. He had to make sure that they understood that this is not just the Jewish message. This is not just a Jewish way of salvation. Christ is Lord of all. This is a message for the Gentiles as well. In verse 37, he then goes on to declare to them that, you know, they already knew much of the gospel message. It says, that word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. He says, you already know most of the gospel message. You already know most of the events. You see, they were not oblivious to who Christ was. They were not oblivious to what had happened. In Acts 26, verse 26, it tells us that Christ's ministry was a public ministry. It was public knowledge. Just go there, Acts 26 with me. Acts 26, verse 26, it says, For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. I love the way it's stated there. These things were not done in a corner. They weren't hidden away. This was a public ministry, a public um, ministry that Christ had. Everyone had seen it. It was well known. And so Cornelius and the other Gentiles present in the house, they knew something of the gospel. They knew about Christ. They knew about the events that had taken place. But Peter now refreshes their mind, if you like. He goes through and summarizes the events of the gospel and tells them what it means. Verse 38, he says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but unto witnesses, chosen before God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and dead. Verse 38 to 42, Peter summarizes the gospel, doesn't he? He goes through it very quickly, very briefly. He summarizes the historical basis for the gospel. He tells them how Christ's ministry began with the baptism, the baptism of John, and how the Holy Spirit descended upon him. He tells about his ministry on earth among the people, in, uh, to the Jews and to Jerusalem. He declares how Christ then was unjustly put to death and that Christ then rose again the third day. And Peter declares, he says, I'm witness to all of this. He says, I witnessed all this. I witnessed his ministry on earth. I witnessed his death, his burial. I witnessed his resurrection. 
I can tell you firsthand that these things are true. And having declared that Christ is Lord of all, he's their Lord as well, and told them the message, told them what Christ has done for them, Peter now tells them, thirdly, the way of salvation. Verse 43 says, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Such a wonderful, simple statement, isn't it? Excuse me. He announces the good news. He says, whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. You know, what wonderful words they must have been for Cornelius and indeed the other Gentiles. Cornelius in particular, he's been seeking for this for ages. He's been seeking for the answer. What's the way of salvation? And Peter says, Christ has done it all. All you have to do is believe. Whosoever believes shall be saved, shall have their sins forgiven. No matter what race, no matter what background, whosoever believes. The only thing God is concerned about is faith in the finished work of Christ, who is Lord of all. You know, in that moment, Cornelius and the others who are present in their house lay hold of this truth. They believe in their hearts and they are saved. And we know this because of the Last part of this message here, or this chapter, the demonstration of God's approval. The demonstration of God's approval. Read with me verse 44. It says, And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. In verse 44, it's declared that even as Peter is speaking, the Holy Ghost comes upon these Gentile believers. It falls upon them. You know, Peter is interrupted in the middle of his message. He's preaching. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon these Gentiles. In chapter 11, verse 15, Peter says that he barely begun to speak. Chapter 11, verse 15, it says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Peter says, I barely begun. I just started. And they believed and the Holy Ghost fell upon them. There was more that he wanted to say. But he's interrupted by spirits. In verse 45 and 46, we see that these Gentile believers receive the Spirit and the the brethren that have traveled with Peter are astonished by this. So it says in verse 45, And they that were of the circumcision, which believed, were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. You know, those who travel with Peter, when they see this, they are astonished. They can't believe their eyes. Now, here are these Gentiles who before now they considered to be dogs. And they've now accepted the gospel message and the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon them just as it had upon the Jews. It's no difference. You know, these Gentiles are now speaking in tongues, which of course is the outward evidence of the Spirit coming into all their hearts. It was, it was a proof, if you like. It was a sign gift. Now, obviously, it's not something that we need today. We don't need to speak in tongues, okay? That's a sign gift that's passed away. But it was given here to these Gentiles so that those present would know that they'd received the Spirit's, received the same Spirit's. 
See, this was the Gentiles' Pentecost. It's a parallel event. The same Spirit who'd come upon the Jews at Pentecost and given them miracles, given them the ability to speak in tongues, had now come upon the Gentiles and given them the same abilities. It was evidence, outward evidence of the Spirit coming to dwell within. You know, those present with Peter, they witnessed this event and they were astonished. They were astonished that the Gentiles received the same Spirit. Now, as I said, this was God's way of demonstrating His approval. You know, by God doing it like this, it meant that in chapter 11, when they faced the Jerusalem church, they can give testimony that they received the Spirit, can't they? They can testify that God accepted these Gentiles. You see, this demonstrated clearly to everyone present that the Gentiles were saved in the exact same way as the Jews. And that they were now part of the same body, the same church. You know, we've now seen in the course of the book of Acts, the Spirit poured out upon three distinct groups. The Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles. And all three have received the same spirits in the same way. And all three are united in one body in Christ. Paul sums up this truth for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just go there, 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12 and verse 13. It says, For by one spirit... We are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. We have been all made to drink into one spirit. It sums it up perfectly, doesn't it? We are all baptized by one spirit into one body in Christ. We are all the same. Now, having witnessed this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, Peter now seeks to baptize these new believers. Verse 46 says, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry seven days. You know, Peter understood that these Gentiles had believed in faith. They'd gotten saved just like any Jew. And now the next step for them was baptism. And so he commands for them to be baptized. To be baptized demonstrating outwardly what had taken place on the inside. Publicly declaring their faith and obedience to Christ. Now this chapter truly is a wonderful passage in the word of God. It's a passage which means a lot to us in particular, doesn't it? Because like Cornelius, we're Gentiles. I don't think we've got any Jews here this morning. Like Cornelius, we're Gentiles. And so it means a lot to us. Because it's here that we see the door first open unto the Gentiles. It's here that we see the wonderful truth that we are saved in the exact same way as the Jews. There is no distinction. There is no difference. We receive the same spirit at the point of salvation. And we're all saved by grace through faith. God is no respecter of persons. You know, this chapter, I think, also shows to us the importance of being willing to minister to whoever God sends us to. You know, think of Peter. Peter didn't like the Gentiles before now. And God sends him, and Peter willingly in faith obeys. 
and he goes and preaches in power and he sees a great result. He sees these ones get saved because he obeyed. He was willing to go. Now, like Peter, we need to put aside our prejudices and we need to be willing to minister to, do, to whoever God sends our way. You know, no matter where they're from, no matter who they are, no matter what race, all need Christ. You know, our prejudice today may not necessarily be to do with race. I think oftentimes our prejudice is more to do with the kind of person they are. You know, this is an upstanding person, they're sort of moral character, so we'll minister to them. We like them, but this filthy, dirty sinner over here, I'll avoid them. It's prejudice, isn't it? So they all need the same saviour, they need the same message. The reality is that no matter what kind of person they are, no matter what sin they've been involved in or committed, God loves them the same and so should we. And beloved, you know, in this day and age, you know, sin is becoming more and more rampant. It's been more and more legalised. You know, we need to hate the sin, but love the sinner. That's a big thing we need to understand. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. They need the wonderful message that whosoever believeth, in him shall be saved. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this wonderful chapter. And we thank you, Lord, that salvation is readily available to us just as it is to the Jews. And that, Lord, you are not a respecter of persons. And Lord, I pray you help us, like Peter, to respond in faith and obedience and minister unto all. No matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what their background. Lord, help us to love the sinner and give them the gospel message you may help us to remember these truths remember this passage now as we depart in jesus name